When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to episode number 124 of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Brought to you by me, your host, Mac B. The Wolf. And I will be joined, as always, by my partner in crime from the East Coast of the U.S., Gary Action Jackson. And I want to give a shout out to everyone who listened to our last episode on Marillion's Script for a Jester's Tear. Look, Marillion is one of those bands that we just didn't really know much about. It's somebody we kind of heard of, but we never really listened to them before. And they didn't have any big hits in America when we were growing up. In fact, they had no hits in America when we were growing up. So we didn't have any real familiarity with them. But as this show is kind of about me being an American expat living in London and learning more about UK bands that maybe we didn't learn about in America, maybe they didn't hit as big in the States as they did on the other side of the pond, I just thought it would be a good idea to explore Script for a Jester's Tear as it was turning 40. We have a lot of Prague fans in our network, a lot of Prague listeners, so I figured, hey, let's give it a shot. And we did it with an amazing artist, Jimmy Madden, who is doing gigs around England right now. He's trying to work his way to America, but you can go to jimmymadden.com and follow him on all the different social media outlets there. He's doing really well. He just had a great month on Spotify, as I just saw on Twitter there. So definitely follow Jimmy and learn about his music, but take what he said to heart and listen to some of Script for a Jester's Tear. I think you'll be rewarded for that. In fact, I got a great note via Twitter by one of our regular listeners, goes by the handle Moving On 2660850, and we've talked with him before, said, Hey, Ugly Werewolf, I had heard of Marillion, but never explored their music until now. Thoroughly enjoy your review as I listen via YouTube track by track. Musicianship is top-notch, and some of the songs immediately remained in my head. Thanks for challenging us. Well, thank you, moving on, for your comments. And yeah, it was a challenge for us, too. This is not a band we knew very well. This is not an album we'd ever heard before, let alone had listened to a lot as kids and loved. So it was a bit of a challenge for us to explore something new, and that's why we enlisted Jimmy. But hopefully, it turns some folks on to Marillion, and that's really what it's all about, sharing our passion for rock and roll and exploring new things, at least stuff that is new to us, even though it's 40 years old. 
And speaking of listeners, I was really pleased and excited to meet a young listener when I was down in Florida this past week, a young man named Rex, who isn't even quite in high school yet, but he's a big metalhead. He has a couple of bands on his own. He's an accomplished musician and a graphic artist, and he actually knew who we were. Look, we know what our demographics are. We're 50 years old. We figure everybody listening to our show is about the same age, maybe a little older, maybe a little younger but kind of in our demographic, who remembers listening to a lot of this stuff from growing up. But this is a young man who loves rock and roll, loves heavy metal, is a talent in his own right, and we spent about an hour talking together about what he liked about the show and what he was into. So I thank you, Rex, for being a fan. I thank you for listening to the show, and I thank you for carrying the torch forward for rock and roll. One of the reasons we do this show is so we can celebrate these albums and make sure they don't fade into obscurity, also to interview rock stars who are starting to fade from the earth as well, and hopefully we'll get some more interviews here in the next couple of months that we're excited about. But thank you, Rex, and thank Thank you to everyone in the younger generation who still listens to rock and roll. Now, on today's episode, we're doing an American band. We're not doing an English band for the first time in a bit. We're doing an American band who is huge, one of the biggest American rock bands of all time, and one that was a huge influence on us as we were growing up, and that's Van Halen, as we're coming up on the 35th anniversary of OU812, their eighth album, and second with Sammy Hagar as lead singer. And this was much anticipated. After the 5150 album, their first with Sammy, after the change from David Lee Roth, 5150 did very well, had a lot of catchy songs, had some hits, but it was very synthed out. And people were a little bit upset with that, saying, hey, why is Eddie playing the keyboard? Why isn't he playing the guitar? Why is the ultimate guitar god sitting on the keyboards? So when OU812 came out, I feel like they may have listened to some of those critics. They still definitely have some synths and keyboards in there, but it seemed like they did return to some more riffing and some really great Eddie magic, while still maintaining their pop sensibilities. When It's Love was still a huge hit for them. Feels So Good was a big hit for them in America. Big MTV hit. Finish What You Started may not have been a classic Van Halen song as far as the style of the song goes, but it was a huge hit for them. They did very well. In some ways, they returned to some harder rock roots. In some ways, they kind of got away from it. It's an interesting one. It was They couldn't have been bigger. They headlined the Monsters of Rock Tour over Scorpions, Metallica, Dokken, and Kingdom Come. So they really were about the biggest hard rock band in the world at that point. But I don't know if this one has aged all that well. So we're going to kind of dig into that on this show. Before we do that, though, we got to do a little bit of business. As usual, we have to mention that we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a network of about 100 great shows on all musical genres. There's something in there for everybody. You can follow them at Pantheon Pods. But we also like to give shout-outs to folks either we've had on our show or we've guested on their show, like Jay from The Hook Rocks or Paul Stevenson from This Day Rocks and Vintage Rock Pod, like Christy Alexander Hallberg of Rock Is Lit, Martin Popoff of History in Five Songs, Tom and Zeus, the Kiss Kings, who are just wrapping up their ultimate Kiss bracket as I record this, of the Shout It Out Loud cast, and of course the CEO, Christian Swain of Rock and Roll Archaeology. But our old friend Sonny Pooney of Growing Up Rock, he and Stephen Michael have joined the Pantheon podcast family. So we welcome you there, boys. We're glad to have you on board. There's some other great folks who have just joined, and so you have to go to Pantheon Pods or PantheonPodcast.com to see who some of those folks are. Great, great podcasters. They have great guests. They have great topics. Of course, Sonny was our guest last year as we reviewed White Snake's 1987 album, and we're hopeful to have Sonny on here again really soon. 
And of course, we have to mention our incredible sponsor, RareVinyl.com. Look, guys, I know a lot of you are record collectors. RareVinyl.com has over a quarter million items in stock. They have a five-star rating from Trustpilot, and I've been to their warehouse. I've met their people. They take great care of all this amazing Rock And it's not just rock and roll. They have an amazing collection of records, posters, 12-inch singles, CDs, DVDs, point-of-sale record store displays, all sorts of amazing stuff in there. You go to rarevinyl.com, find something that you love, and then use code PODCAST. You can save 10%. But they ship all over the world. So I don't care if you're in Alaska or Australia, you're looking for that special Van Halen album. Or maybe it's Marillion from the last show. Whatever you're into, go to rarevinyl.com or eil.com and use the code podcast. It'll save you 10%. They'll ship it to you in great shape. Uh, And then you get on their list. So if you're always looking for something, you know, something's come in and out of stock. Some things are hard to find. But when they get it back in, you can get an alert so you know when that priceless treasure you want is available. So go to rarevinyl.com, guys. Great folks there. Now back to Van Halen. Yeah, this this kind of coincided in a time in my life that was interesting. It was when I was in high school and I was discovering hard rock and I was very into Led Zeppelin and I was very into the old school Rolling Stones and getting into Rush. And then Van Halen had the credibility of being MTV darlings from 1984. But then I'd also discovered the first Van Halen album. So I knew them as both, as this cool, hard-rocking band, but also as this pop band. And now they have this new lead singer who has a little bit more vocal range and can also play the guitar. So OU812 was a big deal. I remember my friends and I getting it and listening to it and having it with us constantly during 1988 and 89. And so that's why Jax and I are going to review it here ahead of its 35th anniversary. So sit back, folks. On episode 124, we're getting into Van Halen's OU812 right here on The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Okay, uh, time for a little experimentation. We'll see if uh, how we sound together on the same mic for the first time in it's been a long time since we tried this. I don't think we've ever tried one mic. We tried it out of the computer one time, so 
to make sure that we get the same level and are not uh, butting heads. That's right. But I'm glad we're here face to face for once. And we're going to talk about what was what was one of our very favorite bands, especially when we first met. I mean, in high school, I've easily put Van Halen in my top five favorite bands ever, maybe top three at some point. I always talk about it's, it's the Stones, Led Zeppelin, Rush have been top three forever. But there may have been a time when Van Halen was in the top three. Absolutely. And, and especially at this time when we met, this was the latest Van Halen record uh, for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge had not come out yet, I don't think, right? I don't know. I thought it came out in the summer before we went. Oh, you know what? I to think college because right. I you're think right. Pound Cake was already out. Yeah, and it was the first. It was the first concert we ever saw together. Because mm-hmm. I got tickets living in Jacksonville for Orlando, and Allison Chains opened for them, and they were not selling T-shirts in the <laughs> arena because the arena wanted too much of a take, so they're just like, "Nope, we're just not going to sell them." But I remember we were so psyched about it, man. Like, going to see Van Halen, and we had the Van Halen poster on the wall. And, and he's still revered as about the greatest rock guitarist in the whole world at that point. You know, they were still, and I know their their song off that album was standing on top of the world, but I mean, that's where they were, man. They were rock gods. Yeah. And still a point yet where where grunge had not taken over yet. And I think even when it did, it, it almost seemed like Van Halen had the had enough armor on them, had enough pedigree where they kind of fought that off and were still big, even through grunge. Well, the early, in 91, 92, anyway. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, Nirvana had just hit. Yeah, they were with Alice in Chains, but Alice in Chains really only had the man in the box. They may have had one of their EPs out at some point, but the man in the box was what had made them big. And so, you know, they didn't have Dirt out Mm. yet. I don't think they had Jar of Flies out quite yet. They were still, I mean, an opening act is probably where they belonged at that point right as far as the amount of material they had and yeah and obviously at this point there were people who had chosen the sammy or the dave camp yeah yes there definitely were but i i didn't think at that point in time to me it, as long as they were putting out music i was fine with it i knew I, I i didn't think there was any way dave was ever coming back right so if this is what we were going to get then fine let's do it it wasn't exactly the same but it still fit, and I still liked it. Yeah, and it's, you know, like a lot of the bands that we were into or that we liked, well, we liked Led Zeppelin. Well, you weren't going to get Led Zeppelin ever again, you know? You weren't going to get the Beatles ever again, you know? You got the Stones, but that's pretty sporadic uh, <laughs> as far as they don't tour every single year, like, even though they, they kind of started to about 20 years ago. But we were just happy. There were no more Who, basically. You know, a lot of the bands that we liked weren't coming back, so... Yes, and and Van Halen had that, they had both. They had the killer rock stuff to give them that cred. But they also, because of growing up with MTV, 1984 was huge on MTV. So they had the pop thing going too, Mm -hmm. right? So yeah, for the hardcore rockers, they made sense. For the people who were just into pop music, they made sense. So they had a lot of credibility, and they'd already gone through the thing with Sammy replacing Dave on 5150 a couple years before OU812 came out, right? Right, right. So the initial weirdness of what how was this going to go was over. They had one album. It did well. I think it was, what, five or six million? Six million, 5150, yeah. yeah, in America. So that was big. They they cemented themselves as a new incarnation of the band. So, yeah, I was I was excited when this, when this record came out to see what it was going to be. I was excited. Well, and here's the other thing, too. Obviously, I knew them from 1984 mm-hmm. and a couple other songs. But it was right around this time that this album comes out is when I discovered Van Halen 1, the first album. Okay. Like, I'd never heard Eruption. And then after I heard it, I'm like, 
oh my god, my life changed drastically at that point. So it's like, okay, I already knew this band. They were cool from the early MTV days when I was a kid just learning about music. Then I find that they're... They've got some killer stuff from before that time mm-hmm. that's mind-blowing, that's so good, that's earth-shatteringly changes your life. And then this comes out, right? So then I'm like, okay, now I know it's the best of both worlds, right? It's right. stuff I liked as a kid, but it's also hardcore heavy metal stuff that I can like as a burgeoning metalhead. Mm-hmm. And even though this was more on the on the synth side, it was still, to me, this one still rocked hard enough to not turn me off to the band to keep kind of keep the the momentum going and uh want to hear more from what the what they were putting out right so that's that's kind of what the issue is i mean yes the singer changes a lot of people always have an issue it's not the same guy and i get it and and the voices are going to be different right but you have to take into account that not only were they the voices different but you went from this guitar god kind of guy with the lead singer who's more the entertainer than the, than the vocal talent, right? He's more the front man. But 5150 did incorporate a heck of a lot of synths in there. And not that you didn't hear a little bit of that on 1984 with songs like mm-hmm. I'll Wait and stuff like that. But it was all over 5150. And that was, it wasn't just, hey, that guy's not Dave, but... They've gone soft. There's too much synth in there. And, and Eddie always had to say, it's me playing the synth. Mm-hmm. It's me programming it in. What do you want from me? So the other thing is, we already had the Crazy from the Heat and Eat em and Smile from Mr. David Lee Roth. And while he had an absolute killer lineup in that band, that album really wasn't that great. It really was. So if you were, were going to split between the two camps, I was definitely in the Van Halen camp. Yeah, you follow the talent, right? And Correct. Dave, Dave, you know, I mean, what's he do as soon as he goes solo? California Girls. Like, <laughs> they did all these covers in Van Halen, especially on Diver Down. You listen to our Diver Down episode where half the record is, is covers. Yeah, I mean, he's not a great songwriter. And he is an amazing singer. Now, it's very tongue-in-cheek. It's very entertaining. Mm-hmm. And to see him live is probably a blast. And I have seen him live with Van Halen and his come over when, uh, when, when Michael was no longer welcome in the band and Wolfie was probably 70 pounds uh, lighter at that point. Uh, but, you know, yeah, he, he's a great entertainer. There's no doubt about it. But he's not an amazing singer. And, he, he, you know, songwriting is not his forte either. So they welcome Sammy in. It does awesome, 5150. And you can't deny it for me personally, live without a net in New Haven. Mm-hmm. Connecticut was huge, especially since I got it on cassette and I could ride around it with my car or put it in the boombox. And I'm like, would you listen to all that cool stuff? And when you hear his whole solo, Eddie's whole solo, it's got part of 316, which hadn't been uh, right. put on right. for Uncle Alpha Chronology yet. You hear part of Mean Streets, you hear Cathedral, you hear Eruption, all is one thing. Like, gosh, that's so amazing. He really is the greatest electric guitar player in the world. And I think. At that point in time, the live without a net, I had never seen him play before. Mm-hmm. So to, to watch him, you know, how he played the different things that you heard a million times, that was awesome. And yeah, just to see the band play, I, I don't believe that there was another live performance that I remember seeing before that. No, and their first live record was uh, Right Here, Right Now Live with Sammy after Four Lawful Carnal Lives, right? right? So we'd all been kind of waiting for an official, I mean, obviously in California, there's tons of boots around, lots of cassettes available. I'm talking about like an official 
live album. It didn't exist. But, I mean, 5150 did six times platinum in the U.S., three times platinum in Canada, double platinum in Australia. You know, it, it, it did very well. Dreams hit the Billboard Hot 100. Love Walks In hit the Hot 100. You know, Why Can't This Be Love went to number three. Mm-hmm. So those are some pretty big hits. So like, okay, well, the next one's going to be just as big, just as good. And I feel like maybe they started to listen to their critics a little bit. Okay. On this okay. one. Okay. And why would you say that? It's not that there's no synths on oh, you wait what two because there still are. Mm-hmm. But it sounds to me like they're trying to do some more heavy riffing in certain places and they're letting Eddie go in a few places. But I don't know. Compared to 5150, I don't know if I like this one as well. I would agree with you on that. I think that the songwriting on 5150 is better. There are a couple of, and we'll get to this, but there are a couple of tracks on here that I think are just kind of filler. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I one thing that I remember thinking about watching Live Without a Net is I would have been upset in 1980, what was that, six, mm-hmm. paying money to see Eddie play the, the, keyboard. the keyboards a lot of the time. Like he, I know he's always got the guitar with him, right? but he plays a lot, and, and Sammy plays a lot on the guitar. Sammy's a great guitar player, he is. but that's not what I paid to see. Exactly. You know, And that's another thing. It's like, okay, so now there's another guitar player in the band. Cool. You know, Now we're going to get more riffing and stuff like that. But it doesn't really work out that way. It's not like Eddie, Sammy holds down the, the riff while Eddie goes. It's more like Eddie goes and then Sammy gets a turn. And then Eddie gets a turn. I'm like, well, okay. I mean, it's it's not quite Iron Maiden trading or, or Judas Priest or something like that. Uh, it, it adds another dimension. Well, now that's an interesting thought because, you know, you, were, you mentioned Iron Maiden. You mentioned Priest. Those are probably the two biggest bands for us that have a twin lead guitar. Yeah. It's a lot harder than you think to get them both to play back and forth and together. The, what I remember seeing is Sammy playing the kind of the, the, the lead, not lead part, but like the rhythm part, the main riff. And then Eddie is just kind of like riffing. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't really know what to do because he's like, what do I just noodle the whole time? Exactly. He needs to play riff, solo, back to riff a little bit. Like he needs to handle all of it. it with him left to his own devices, it's just noodling. Yeah. Exactly. So he kind of needs to have some directions like you have to play this. Thing, Correct. You, know? you have to kind of keep it all together there. Yeah. And it's it's like, remember that Judas Priest, uh, I think it was Metalworks VHS that we had back in the day. When they're talking about the Turbo album, like it had the computerized chug of ZZ Top. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what this sounds Well, what some of this sounds like okay. to me. And it's a little later than that. So you'd think they would have learned from that. Right. But uh, apparently not. So 88, 88 was like Iron Maiden's doing Seventh Son, which is very synthed up. Mm-hmm. Judas Priest is doing Ram It Down. Is that right? By yes, that point? That would be 88, correct. Because Painkiller didn't come out to the 90 yeah. or 91 or something like that. So. So that's kind of where metal or hard rock, I would not call Van Halen metal. They're too pop for that. But it's kind of where hard rock was. And then, you know, Hysteria's all over the place in 87 and 88 and 89. Bon Jovi. Yeah, that was 87. Slipper, Slippery When yeah. Wet was 87. So th- these are the leaders, and that's who Van Halen is with or against. So I, I, don't, I don't know if you can blame the band so much as you can blame the times. Plus, they didn't really have that Ted Templeman with them, right? They, that was yeah. So Ted, what, what was it? 1984, and then he was out for 5150. Mm-hmm. So now this is the second album without yeah his hand on the rudder, basically telling them what to do. No, not nah, I won't say telling them what to do, but more just just kind of pushing them in the right direction. 
Right, and I think Don Landy, who was their engineer, eventually got a producer's credit for it because of the work he did. But he's like, basically, we're producing it ourselves. I'm like, okay, sometimes that's a good idea, mm-hmm. and sometimes it isn't. Ted seemed to be the guy for them. Had yeah. incredible success. Although, I know charting doesn't always mean the same stuff, and 1984 and the first Van Halen album have outsold the Sammy albums, but none of the David Lee at Roth albums went to number one. All the Sammy albums went to number one. Correct. So... Now, 1984 went to number two. I don't think it could get over Thriller, which... <laughs> That doesn't make it different from a lot of albums that came out from 1983 to 1984. But but yeah, it's... And I'll admit to you this. I hadn't listened to this all the way through since high school. I would be in the same boat. This is a long record. I think this is, what, 60-something minutes long, where a lot of the Van, a lot of Van Halen records come in in the 40, 40-ish. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think you're right. These songs are a little bit longer. And I didn't realize at the time that the 10th song, A A Political Blues, which was a cover, Little Feet cover, that was a quote-unquote bonus track for CDs. I only bought it on CD. I didn't know anybody who had it on a cassette. So, uh, I mean, at the time, that was fairly common practice, Mm -hmm. but I didn't kind of realize it. But it was also a B-side, and it, I mean, we'll get to it. it, it doesn't fit with anything else on the record. No, but I mean, it is is kind of a cool B-side 10th track. The other thing that was weird about this one, they were in alphabetical order on the back, not in track order. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, and it was, so it was confusing. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm trying to follow along, and this isn't, this isn't going well. But you can't hear a lot of bass, I feel like, on this record. And this could have been... Are the wheels starting to come off here? Yeah, I mean, the whole we don't like Michael Anthony thing, to me that started about 20 years ago or 20 something like that. Otherwise, Mikey was always like, oh, no, we love him, and he does our backing stuff, and he's our brother, he's got the Jack Daniels bass, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, he was persona non grata, and I feel like he's, look, they're just making room for Wolfie, and there's got to be a scapegoat, and it's because, ah, oh, it's because we don't like Mike. But this, the way he's drowned out, I don't know, maybe they were already starting to nudge him, I'm not sure. Yeah, and I know that all tracks are credited to the entire band, but that was the, that that's what came out later is they basically said he didn't write anything. Even though there's something on here that he says that he programmed the at least the synth track for. So I don't know. I mean, come on. He's been with you how long? I mean, I I've never heard anybody say anything bad about Michael Anthony. What what's the problem? I know. And it even says here there speculation that the thin presence of bass may have been related to the Van Halen brothers growing animosity in later years not only would be forced out of the band but his songwriting credits are removed or altered i guess that's on new releases but that's that's not cool that's not cool but they didn't love it i mean years later and he says sonically it was shit Mm -hmm. like well maybe you should have had a producer then ed (laughs) this is sunny hollywood poony and you are listening to the ugly american werewolf in london rock podcast why Somebody has to. Our buddy, Martin Popoff, who uh, was on, was it episode number 102 or 103, talking about Blue Oyster Cult. He called it his cynical corporate rock and found the album overproduced and more commonplace than 5150. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ouch, Martin. (laughs) But people wanted to not like Van Halen after Dave left, I felt. I think it was like the really, that was the in vogue things. Like, you go to the Dave side, even with Airheads, the Adam Sandler and... uh, Brendan Fraser movie was like, uh, who'd you take in the Van Halen Dave Reese? They were lost. He's like, I 
Van Halen's like, he's a cop. <laughs> it's like they sold a lot of albums after Dave left. But I'm, I was with you. I'm like, I'm going with the band. I'm going with the brand. I'm going with the legendary guitar player than just the guy who can do high kicks with his shirt off. You know, I, that seemed like an easy choice to me. And the other thing too was that for every every kind of bad feeling that people had about Roth, because that was that was the thing in 1985 was that he couldn't get along with the band. He was too big for his britches, so he left. You bring in Sammy, who had this huge... Well, he was with Montrose before. Then he does his own solo records. Right. And again, he's just uh, just a great guy. Like, he just comes in, and it's his band, and they're all together. And right. Yeah, it just seemed like, yeah, who, who am I going to side with? Dave? Yeah. Doing his own thing. The wackadoo. Right. And, and even that, that was never, it was never another band either. Like, it was always David Lee Roth, or right. the David Lee Roth band. So you knew what was going on there. That's right. As far as who was calling the shots. Now, he had great videos. They're very entertaining, you know. Correct. What, did you lose weight? No, I gained 80 pounds. It was great MTV <laughs> stuff. I know that they loved him there. But, you know, did you hear Sensible Shoes? Because that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dave. But uh, but even Robert Crisco, the Village Voice, who he railed on them after 5150, like how horrible it was. But he's like, this is better. It's like, it's a record of clear professionalism or barely discernible inspiration, but it's not both. Whatever. Um, <laughs> it said, trading Dave for Sammy wrecked their shot of, of being the Led Zeppelin in the 80s. But Sammy, hey, wow, man. Uh, you know, if the new boy doesn't own them, then you can't deny he defines them. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting take on that. Again, this is creating soap opera nonsense. I'm like, just listen to the music. And a lot of Dave music was amazing, but Dave's not writing that music. Billy Sheen and Stevie Vai are doing the heavy lifting there. Right. You know, so I I don't know. Well, and then on the other side, Sammy comes in and writes all the songs. Like, I, he might not write them by himself, but he's got his hand. It's not like he just came in and sang them. That's right. He is the leader of this band now. All right, so let's jump into it now. Okay. Start off with Mine All Mine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I loved this song back in the day. And listening to it again... I still do. I, I'm, I was surprised it wasn't a single. I thought it was really awesome. You know, it comes out. It, now, it's got a little bit of that computer chug thing going mm-hmm. on to begin. I know, but I still like it. I don't know. The synth is occupying a lot of the space here, but uh, still, as a good opening album track, I dig it. Yeah. This is one of those tracks where you buy the album and you say, yeah, the same thing. Why was this not a single? This is great. And not a whole ton of people know this. I don't think it was ever on a Greatest Hits. No. I think they kind of just forgot all about these albums once Dave came back. And they didn't play a ton from this either after, I mean, certainly on the Foreign Lawful Carnal Knowledge Tour, they didn't play a ton. They played the hits. Right. Now, I know at this point, I mean, what is this, their eighth album? So if you only get maybe two or three songs per record or something yeah. like that. Not to mention, Sammy didn't like to play a ton of the Dave stuff. Like, didn't play Jump, like, on this tour. I'm like, you're not going to play Jump, dude. <laughs> jump is a huge shit. You have to play Jump. He likes Panama, right. but he doesn't like to sing jumps. I'm like, uh, okay. But, you know, look, the classic, ooh, 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 
in the harmonies. Yeah. And that is Michael Anthony. Mm-hmm. And I know Eddie's in there too, and Sammy's probably in there too. But that's also signature of Van Halen's sound. Right. And that's another reason why I don't get why they're always denigrating Mike, because he, he had a lot to do with maybe he didn't write yeah, he maybe yeah. didn't write it, but the sound he's a part of. Correct. And and this this was good too because the you gotta be real careful with the old whammy bar dump at the beginning of the solo. Mm-hmm. Right? I think it sounds really cool. He doesn't overuse it. It's a little different. This is a really cool track. I like this. I'm gonna be like, I love the solo. It's like yeah. it's great. They're back. All right, cool. It's still got a lot of that, you know, synthy computer stuff in it, but that's okay. We're off and running now. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Yep. Woohoo! All right, then we go to when it's love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a hit, I suppose. It was the first single. Yes. Was it the first single? I think single. So. Well, that's the one I, <laughs> that, I that's the one I remember hearing first. So let's let's check this out. Okay, no, no, this is gonna throw you off. Uh oh. It was the first single we heard. Apparently, Black and Blue was released as a single in, in May of 88. Now, I didn't know that. Um, it was released, the album's May 20th, 1988 in the U.S. So maybe Black and Blue was kind of the pre-single. Okay. You know, a lot of times they'll tease it two or three weeks out, like, here's the new one. And then it didn't go anywhere. It's like, okay, well, let's go back to the love song. Yeah. And then, yeah, When It's Love does well. And I remember the video being in pretty heavy rotation on MTV. Yeah. But yeah, number five on the top, on the Hot 100, number one mainstream rock. It's always good to be number one in America. Yeah. Number 28 in the UK, Cabo Wabo was the B-side. But again, what are we starting with? Boom, 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 keyboard, man. And the riffs are thin. Yeah. The guitar is thin on here, man. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. I, like I said, I remember this being the lead single. And so, you know, okay, the new album's out. Here comes the new single. What are we doing here? This, is, this isn't this is the hard rocker that I would like. I yeah. don't know what this is. didn't understand the whole Michael Anthony dynamic at that point in time. I thought there was a woman in the back. I didn't think a, a man could sing that. With a high voice, yes. yeah. Yes, I know. I know that he can. That na 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 na. Right. Yeah. You know, that and he goes way high. Uh, and, uh, yeah. yeah like, he's, he's, he can go higher than than Sammy can. Yeah. And it's just, it's a little disconcerting. It's, well, and I mean, more big choruses, that's right. It's very catchy. Correct. Ladies like it. There's nothing wrong with having a tune that the ladies like. You know, mm-hmm. we, we've still got eruption, you know, running with the devil in our back pocket. Ain't talking about love. We got that. So, you know, we get we get something to get the ladies in. That's cool. I always kind of like what Al did on, on, on this one. I don't know. Just some signature stuff from Al. There's a little guitar flash here. Yeah, very. But that, not a lot. That was the other thing, too, that I didn't like. Because, I mean, you say, okay, we're, we're into this. Here we go. Eddie, hit me with a solo, mm-hmm. man. What? That's it? Yeah. Aww. Yeah, it's kind of like he's going a little slow at first, and then yeah. he goes, little, okay, here it goes, yeah. and then it's over. Yeah. Like, hey, man. I made a note here, perfect for the radio at the time, but maybe it doesn't age well. Maybe this is that late 80s period where some stuff was just too, and this is what, like, Martin and Chris Gow are getting into, <laughs> like, 
It's too corporate. You know they're just going to sell millions, so they're trying to make it so they sell millions more. I don't know. And, they, and maybe they worked it backwards, too. They said, we have to have a... You can do whatever you want, but we have to have a single. Right. Okay, well, it's got to be about love. There was a great Roth deal. I think he was talking to... He might have been talking to Joe Rogan, and he said, you know, the difference is, you know, you get the Sammy years with, why can't this be love? When it's love, <laughs> I'm ain't talking about love. <laughs> Like, it definitely is, this is the shinier, happier Van Halen, not the nasty. Yeah. And I, but see, I get that. I mean, you can evolve as an mm -hmm. artist. And, you know, when you've got children, you don't sing about living in the gutter. <laughs> when you've sold 40 million records, you don't live in the gutter anymore, dude. You, you live pretty, you better live better than anybody who buys your records does. Right? So, um, but yeah, and the, the video was... It wasn't quite black and white. It was kind of sepia-ish, you know, and it's basically a performance video. But you get to see Sammy with his hair and everything. And I was going to say, in the evolution of Sammy's hair, this was probably the best it was ever going to be. Yeah, yeah. Longest, not too long. Correct. Yeah. Just, it looked like he had a like a rag, not a, one of those uh, mop. mop was on the top. Yeah. yeah. It was, it's awesome looking. It's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd give him credit. Look, number one, mainstream rock. Yeah. Good for them. But, you know, it's it's not ones like, well, this is Van Halen. Yeah, make sure When His Love is on there. That's just not what we're going to do. <laughs> All right. But great. Big hit. Now, AFU, Naturally Wired. When I first saw this, I figured... That's not all fired up. That's for all something else up, was my guess, right? Unfortunately, you were wrong. Knowing those guys. But this one kind of stands out uh, a little bit. I don't know. What do you think of this one? I, I like this one because the, the Al is out front at the beginning laying down a nice groove. Mm -hmm. And then Eddie comes in with, I mean, yeah, now we're not doing synth on this one. This, right? is, a, this is a real nice. Rocker. Yeah, correct. But like kind of updated, though. It doesn't sound like, oh, this could have been off of. 1984, right. Diver Down or something. This this is him taking another step forward on this. Yeah, no, you're right. Big drums for Al at the beginning. Guitar's a little off kilter, but it's starting to get a little bit more like the old days. The riff is way heavier than the first two. Right. Way, way. It's like, okay, finally we can hear that kind of good crunchy riff. And Mike is screaming along again. This actually opened quite a bit of the tour, this song. But what I thought was shocking was that the other song that they opened with, they were still doing There's Only One Way to Rock. Sammy's solo. First, yes, eventually they changed it. It was, it was There's Only One Way to Rock, which is how they opened 5150 Tour. Okay. And then at some point they say, you know, yeah, see, they switched it. It was There's Only One Way to Rock, and then eventually they switched it to, to All Fired Up. So this is a, a good, fun one to kind of yeah. kick off the show and, and get it going. You do, yes, you do not want to be uh, when it's love. Start, you can't start no, you can't do it. That. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there's some real Ed magic uh, on this solo. Like, mm -hmm. this is really back to it. And, like, it, it kind of stands out to me. On an album that has big hits that maybe are love songs and has a lot of synth in it, this one stood out to me. It's like, you know, this is one I should appreciate more. Because if I haven't listened to this album much in the last 30 years, which I haven't, then this is this is what I'm missing. Because I know how Cabo Wabo goes. I know how When It's Love goes. I know how Finish What You Started goes. But this one I kind of forgot about. And yeah. this is this one's actually pretty darn good. Good Van Halen.
But again, it's one of those ones where you've forgotten about it. And then you comes on, you're like, oh, I like this one. I remember this one. Oh, there you are. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. But then that leads into Cabo Wabo, which is a fairly long song for the boys here. I mean, this is over seven minutes long. You know, most of their songs are, you go to the Diver Down episode, they're all three minutes long. Mm -hmm. You know, they're all around four and a half, five and a half minutes leading up to this. But now this is over seven minutes. So you know this is close to Sammy because he's he spent a lot of time down there in Cabo San Lucas. It's, it's hard to believe there was ever a time where Sammy was not associated with Cabo Wabo. But you know exactly. This comes out, and from then on, that's his whole not whole identity, but it's a big part of his identity. Absolutely, Cabo Wabo Canteen is a legendary place where all the rockers and Americans, for that matter, mm -hmm. just go down and party. He's got his tequila out of there, which is done extremely well. I think he's got some spin-off restaurants. I think so. Yeah. Uh, Cabo, Cabo Wabo. So, so yeah, I mean, huge for Sammy. Maybe not for Eddie and, and Al after this. I mean, this is this is really a Sammy song, if ever there was one, right? So, apparently, at one point in time, Sammy took to wearing the Cabo Wabo t-shirts on stage. Uh, and then the Van Halen brothers said, we're going to have to ask you to stop that. Is that right? So, Sammy said, no problem, guys. Team player mm -hmm. goes down to the tattoo shop, gets Cabo Wabo on his arm, and then, you know, a couple songs into the set, you roll up the sleeves because you're getting hot, and oh, is that there? Oh, screw you guys. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a, I think that was a sore subject for him, but I think at one point in time, at least Ed was a, he was in on that, wasn't he? As an investor? Yeah, I think so, and then he just said, ah, eh, buy me out, this isn't going anywhere, and then really? he really did. Yeah, another bad decision by Ed. <laughs> Maybe caused by alcohol or other things. But the, I mean, the song has just kind of become legend because it's about the cantina. But there's some good stuff in there. They played it as an encore song on uh, on part of that tour. You know, there's some good O's and O's during the chorus and stuff. I just, let me take you down. I will show you all around. That's, I mean, that's what it is. All the rest of it still fades. Even though I just listened to it <laughs> to get read for this this review, I'm like, you know what? That's that's the song for me. It's it's a seven minute song, but for me, it's 30 seconds. Face down in Cabo, kissing the ground. But I mean, it's what you want. It's it's Margaritaville. It's it's this. You know, you live in a place where you know eh, I got to go to work every day. I got to yeah. get up. But you know, there's a place. It's far away, but I can dream about being living that lifestyle. And you can actually go there. Exactly. The the riff at the beginning is really cool. It is Cabo riff is good. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> it, it, it's crazy how they. You would think if they got in together and were going down to a place like this together on a regular basis, they'd still want to do it. Mikey still does. Sure. They're still buddies, Absolutely. right? In the, the circle and in, mm -hmm. uh, uh, they're in uh, another band. Together. Chicken Foot. Chicken Foot, Chicken Foot. Now, it's interesting because in Chicken Foot, apparently Chad Smith was down in Cabo and they said, Sammy, you know, wants to talk to you. Mm -hmm. Chad says, well, shit, he's the mayor here, so right. yeah, whatever you, you want, Sam. Aye, aye, Captain. And that worked out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Because the Red Hot Chili Peppers can't tour all the time. It's too big of a production. They have to stop sometimes, you know? Right. Plus, I, I'm sure they make enough money doing what they do. Having a little side project is not the worst thing in the world. But let's see. Now, that, if I'm not mistaken, is the end of side one. Okay. Of course, I only had the CD. But uh, but the fifth song, Source of Infection, is another one that I completely forgot about. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I was trying to get to the singles, because after that, you know, there's there's a bunch of songs that are, that are pretty popular and, and famous or whatever. And I guess this came from Eddie was with Valerie on there or something like that. And he got some kind of nasty bug or a virus or something. And that was the opening, or that was the inspiration from it. Cool opening. Mm-hmm. Somewhat of a Mean Streets kind of thing there from Ed. some great ed work on this sammy is unnecessary on a lot of this okay i mean i'm just (laughs) hey all right you know it's up and down round and round okay yeah basically he's there so that this is not an instrumental right but it's almost like he's doing a dave impersonation (laughs) on this but it's it's like he's making fun of him you know too you know And, and there's not a lot of lyrics on there's like hey all right, you know, and then Sammy's doing whoa. I'm like, don't say whoa, shut up and let me hear what Ed's doing, man. You know, because he's talking over and around Ed's guitar work, and I'm like, that's not cool, man. Just we're here to listen to Eddie. You know, you can do your "Where Eagles Fly" song, and we'll listen to that. But I mean, so I mean, great Eddie on here, but Sam's just like eh, some of it. He was just kind of throwing it in there. It sounded like to me. Yeah, and unfortunately, at this point in time, we've gotten away now from doing the the Ed uh, instrumental. You know, there's no cathedral, there's no uh, there's no eruption or anything. They would come back on the next record to do 316, but the, the, there is no instrumental on this one. And to me, that's what this is. This is him yelling when they're trying to play. When they're trying to do an instrumental. Yeah, exactly. You know, and of course, 316 had been around right. for many years. just decided to lay it down on a record. But yeah, I'm with you there. It's like, life is a source of infection. And then it's just a bunch of screaming. I don't know. It's cool guitar work. Mm-hmm. Maybe an unfinished song. And Sammy's like, okay, look, I'll come in here and do my thing. I don't know. It, it, this is kind of a misfire on something that's got some killer Eddie Van Halen guitar work. So it's wasted. Yeah. So it, it's it's like, I'm not going to go back and listen to this because the song sucks. Like the guitar is good. But the song sucks. Unless somehow you can take Sammy out of this mix. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe they should work on that. Wolfie can work on that. Yeah. Because he's got nothing else to do. Well, yeah, he's doing well. We're glad he's doing his own thing. Absolutely. He, he may want to take the bacon off the cheeseburger once in a while. I'm just saying, Wolfie, you, you know, you're a great instrument. You're a great player. You don't need to be that heavy, buddy. There, there, wasn't there a story about how when they were they were doing the reunion tour and they were putting together a set list mm. and Wolf had put in, just brainstorming, had put in a Sammy song. Oh. And Dave was like, what is this? <laughs> uh, nothing. Don't worry about that. I don't know what that song is. Yeah, I don't know. Some roadie to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, no, I just saw on Twitter, uh, besides Wolfgang temporarily changed his name to mm-hmm. Wolfgang Led Zeppelin. Correct. Was that he, uh, he, he was like, I don't know why the Sammy era doesn't get more respect. He was actually saying, look, there's some great songs on it, and you're absolutely right about that, Wolfgang. It's, the critics like to come after it, and the hardcore, hard-rocking guys come after the Sammy era. But there's some great, great stuff 
absolutely throughout it. It's just like, this is one of those that's like, well, this is just a little bit of a misfire. This track. This yes. track, I yeah. Would, I would agree with you on that. So let's move along to Feels So Good. So good. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, kind of simple in some ways. I believe it was the last of the four singles. Yeah, released in January 1989. I couldn't get any chart information on it, though. But I remember it, uh, it, there was definitely a video for it Yeah, that was pretty fun. Correct. If we're talking about the video, there's have to have confession time here. I don't care how old you are, how old I get, I will always be a sucker for the 1980s body glove bikini. <laughs> nice. Good times. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, a little black and white in the background, a little color up front. So they're going between the different guys. Mikey's mullet is on point in this one. Wow. Business in the front and party in the back. Pretty nice. That's, uh, it looks like an explorer <laughs> base, but but not an old school, like a more new school one. Um, like not a Gibson Explorer. Well, a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what he was playing back then. I don't either. Al, just one of the least attractive <laughs> men in, in rock and roll. You forget he actually has eyes. Yeah. Kind of looks like a gorilla. Or <laughs> some kind of an ape. I, yeah, he's kind of a weird looking dude. But yeah, it was probably, but again, it has some of that computerized chug at the beginning of it. You know, no guitar again. And I'm like, yeah, you know, Sucker in the Three Piece was the B side. I always liked it, but you know, his lyrics are not real deep. They're obviously just about right. sex or something close to it. Right? <laughs> but hey, it's another feel-good song. Mm -hmm. And again, it fits with the times. It fit in fine in 88, 89. They were selling millions of records, but it's not, again, it's not one that you really come back to. No, I wouldn't. The only reason that I like this song is because I remember it from back when it was first on the radio. Like, I don't think I, yeah, I don't think if I came to this now, I would I would have that much of a affinity for it. And the, the solo's not bad. It fits. I would say it fits the song mm -hmm. very well. But it's not earth-shattering. It's not like, this is going to be great. Oh, yeah, and he's back. Watch him go. Yeah, not so much. Yeah. But then on to the next song, Finish What You Started. Tell me about this song, because this is a big hit for them. Number two on the Rock Chop, number 13 on Billboard Hot 100. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you think about it? Well, I think that at the time, they were living, I guess it was in Malibu, like one house away from each other. Mm -hmm. And I guess the guy that was living in the middle got so tired of them walking through his backyard and jumping the fence, he actually put fences in. Or not fences, but gates, so they could walk back oh, and that's forth. that's nice, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, how cool would that be? Hey, look, Eddie's in my backyard again. <laughs> but he was probably some old guy, so he didn't care. Right. Apparently one night, Ed comes a-knocking and says, hey, get up right now. It's 2.30 in the morning. But I guess that's when, like, your focus is music. It's happening, yeah. Yeah, when it happens, it happens. And Sammy was in the middle of something, something, and decided that he had to get out of the uh, out of the room and finish the song. What I like about this is he actually, Sammy actually plays the other part on this. He does. And I think it's the only one that he does on this record. It's true. It's the only time, and I think he used a Gibson on it to play the other guitar piece on it. And after they worked out the music, then Sammy stayed up to write the lyrics. Okay, great, and it became a huge hit for them. Mm -hmm. Right. I never liked this song. Okay. I never liked it back in the day. Okay. Because again, I'm looking for Ed to give me some killer riffs, 
It's his country. Tonk, 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 tonk. <laughs> you know I don't like country music much. And I'm like, this is a waste of Eddie Van Halen. I mean, I know he wrote the thing and he's proud of it. And it sold and it did really well. I see this live. I go get a beer, man. I guess I just I don't like it. All right. I don't have to like it, you know. And sucker with the in a three piece is the B side. So I'm like, and it's about it's about uh, you know you're getting to a certain point with a woman and then it stops mm. and it's like, hey, come back here. <laughs> We're not done, <laughs> you know. And at the time, well, I knew more about that than I knew about feel so good. I guess. <laughs> teenager I was more about yeah so it, it probably resonated more like that so like, hey that's bullshit man you know so yeah and I still I still don't like it I still don't like it it's when I think of Van Halen I just I don't like that song there are other songs on this record I would rather listen to than that I know it's a huge hit so they're gonna play it every time but still I don't like it well that's what the skip button's for one two one two She whiz, man. <laughs> the other thing about Sammy is, I heard him on an interview. Who was it with? It'd be nice if I could cite it so that, you know, we could have evidence of it and go back to it later. But so everyone got a solo. Alex will get a drum solo. Michael will get his boom, 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 yeah. crazy bass solo. Obviously, Ed has like the seven minute guitar solo. And Sammy has a solo time where he comes out and does where Eagles Fly or something like mm-hmm. that, just with an acoustic guitar. He said, that every time the other guys had a solo, he met up with a young lady and did his thing and got done in time to get back up on stage three times a night, every night. And that's that's commitment right there. It's that also dedication and commitment. An energy level well. that, you know, for a man in his 30s, I'm kind of impressed with. <laughs> no doubt about it. Now, speaking of sex, the next song is Black and Blue. Okay. Which apparently was the first single, but didn't really do a whole lot of damage. And it's a blatant song about sex because do it till we're black and blue is the kind of line there, right? But I'll tell you, it is heavier. I understand why it may have been an opening single, you know, to to say, hey, look, Van Halen's back and we're heavy still, you know, because the riff is very EVH. Good harmonies, but the lyrics aren't super special. I mean, I guess it fits into the time. Right. Right. And, well, and, you know, that's that's what you were selling, too. You were selling the three times a night mm-hmm. at backstage, underneath the stage, wherever that was. I wonder, too, if that, you know, they the record company said, when it's love, they said, no, 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 I, it's black and blue. And then that falls flat. And like, no, nope, it's say, when it's love. <laughs> I told you, put this other one out. The the riff on this is is, uh, is cool. And then when the drums come in, is is it's heavy and mm-hmm. fits. But yeah, the lyrics are uh, they're a little. The lyrics maybe haven't aged yeah. very well. But uh, look, thirty four on the Hot one hundred, number one on album rock tracks. That's not mainstream rock, so I don't know where that comes from. Album rock tracks. I haven't heard that list yeah. a whole lot before. B side was A A Political Blues. But again, I remember we were all excited for Van Halen to come out with their new record. They got the cover. Which is a little bit like, is that Meet the Beatles? Is that With the Beatles? When they're kind of black and white, but kind of yeah. shadowed on one side of their face. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. there you go. Meet the Beatles. There you go. You know, I, I distinctly remember being a young man and singing, Do it till we're black <laughs> and blue. <laughs> and so, like, maybe it's just I'm too old. Maybe that's what it is. I've, I've, I don't want to do that anymore. i got to get up tomorrow. Exactly. You know, i got to stretch yeah. out and stuff for that. And, So yeah, maybe the album is that isn't what hasn't aged well. It's that the wolf here <laughs> hasn't aged very well, and there's probably plenty of people to tell you that. Hey guys, this is Chris from My Rock and Roll Heaven, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. Hey folks, Stephen Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report, and we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Now, the last song, well, it's not the last song on the CD, but the last song on the cassette and the vinyl was Sucker in a Three-Piece. This song is better than I remember it, but I didn't get the premise. I'm like, why are you even singing about those people for? Why are you singing about business people mm-hmm. back in the day? I'm like, you know, why even waste your time? Because it has some good riffs. It has some good Van Halen guitar magic. The drums are killer on it. You know, and it's basically about he's talking to a girl who should be with him, but instead she's going to sell out for, you know, a suit mm-hmm. for an older guy with some money, which is a very common tale. He's trying to convince you that's not what you want. You want me. And now I'm like, well, yeah, of course you want Sammy, not some dude in a suit. But at the time, I didn't really get it. Uh, I didn't really get the song. And I just didn't like the title, Sucker in a Three-Piece. No, and, and it's it's tough, too, because like I said, this was a this is a long record. You're, you're kind of out of gas now when you're listening to this last. I mean, I understand this isn't technically the last track on the record, but it's it, this is long, and it's good, but it's, you've been through a lot at this point in time. Yeah, and I think they did play it here. Hold on, let me get my, my average set list from that tour. They played it some. They played it, okay, they played it 10 times on tour, so they tried it. It didn't seem to work, I guess. And then they, they kind of ditched it. Interesting that they closed with Rock and Roll from Led Zeppelin. Huh. I mean, they always done covers, and look, yeah. it, it makes sense. They do You Really Got Me, mm-hmm. 
That's a cover, yeah, but it was on their first album, and it's kind of part of Eruption, almost. But they would not do, they wouldn't do Jump, but they did Rock and Roll. That's interesting on the on that tour. Anyway, then you get to AA Political Blues. Now, again, this was kind of a bonus track if you bought the CD instead of the cassette or the LP. It was a B-side. And I don't know, do you know a lot of Little Feet? I mean, I know Dixie Chicken, I know right. Let It Roll, but yeah. yeah, no, not a ton of stuff, no. I know I know they're one of those bands that, like, they've got a big cult following. Like, mm-hmm. like People, like, know they're the great, and I think they were really great musicians. I just don't think they had a ton of radio hits. Might have been what it was. Yeah. Maybe, and maybe they toured well, but, you know, whatever, the records didn't sell right. really well. And so, like, yeah, it... But if you Other know, musicians know that. Correct. Yeah. If you know music, you love Little Feet. Yeah, yeah. And, and obviously they've already, always done some covers, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, they figure, all right, if you're going to buy the CD, let's throw in the B-side. And I guess both Ted Templeman and Don Landy had recorded Little Feet's version of oh, the okay. song. So they're pretty familiar with it. So they could run it kind of the same way for, for the boys here. It's cool because you don't hear slide guitar from Eddie. No. Like no. ever. Yeah. And, and you figure yeah. that, I mean... I don't have a problem thinking that he could play that. Yeah. He probably grew up listening to blues music, but it's just something you don't hear from him. Exactly. You know, so I give him some credit that it's different. It's different from everything they've kind of done before. Mm -hmm. It's different from everything else on the album. And it's a blues number. They're not really a blues band. Uh, And it's even got a little piano from Ed. I assume that's Ed on the piano. Yeah, I don't, I I look here, there isn't anybody else credited. With piano or With with anything else other than the band. So yes, I would imagine that's him. Yeah, um, so, you know, I never, honestly, I don't think I got this far after <laughs> the first listen back in the day. Seriously, yeah, I mean, we dive down, it's 31 minutes, this is almost double, so, or about that, so, and there's so many other things on there that are good. Plus, like, I was talking to um, Uncle Steve from Uncle Steve Iron Maiden Zone mm-hmm. the other day. What happens to me a lot of times, because he's like, okay, then Brave New World comes out, what did you think of it? I'm like, well, I liked it, but then after two listens, I want to go back and listen to Peace of Mind, he's like... All right, then, uh, you know, A Matter of Life and Death comes out. What do you think? Well, I liked it. <laughs> but after two listens, I go back and listen to, you know, Somewhere in Time. You know, because it's like I know the band and I want to hear stuff that I know from the band. Yeah. So after I listen to all this and I suffer through, if I made it through Sucker in a three-piece, <laughs> I'm probably not going to listen to this. I give them credit for doing something different. It's definitely a B-side for them, but apparently it's one that they liked because they did play it when we saw them play in Orlando in 1991, which is shocking to me, honest to God. I don't think they played, where is it? They only played it twice. They only played it twice. This is the 5150 tour. Oh, okay. They only played it twice on the 51... Oh, no, this is a... Oh, you wait, one, two. Okay. So they only played it twice on that tour. But when we saw them on Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, they did mm-hmm. play it. They only played it five times. So we were kind of... We kind of got a rare rare track there. They only played it twice. The, the previous tour, they only played it five times on this tour. Or on that tour, I should say, on Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. But from... They played When It's Love. 
on the tour we saw AA political views finish what you started and that's it. That's it. And yeah. they brought Jump back. Finally, Sammy realized, I guess I have to sing <laughs> Jump, even though I don't really want to. But, you know, on average, they played a ton of this on the OU812 tour, right? They played AFU. They played Black and Blue. They played Cabo Wabo basically every night. Finish what you started. Mine all mine. I would have loved to see that yeah. one. When it's love, of course. And then they did Sucker in a three-piece a few times, you know, so they they still played a ton of it, whereas I feel like once they got to Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, I mean, look, they played one, two, three, I guess we could name them, Pound Cake, Judgment Day, Runaround, Pleasure Dome. Best of both worlds. Uh, Dream is over on top of the world. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they they were, they were still doing a lot of stuff from the new record, and which was the, the case, but it, it seemed like they did a little bit more on the OU812 tour. But anyway, as far as this goes in the pantheon of Van Halen, and let's say there's 10 records. There's the six with Dave, and there's four with Sammy. Okay. No greatest hits, no live albums. Right. Whereabouts would you rank it? it this is pretty low. To be honest with you, if you're talking about the rest zone, because I mean, I I like I like 5150 is going to be over this absolutely. Yep. And I think pretty much all the Dave records. <laughs> yeah. Just because that that's the the Dave records were the classic. When you say Van Halen, I know that's what I think of. Like, I, it's not that I don't like 5150. It's not that I don't like this record. That's classic Van Halen. To I me. know. Yeah. And you put you put unlawful carnal knowledge over it would be my guess. Correct. Yes. So that's nine out of ten. Yeah. Overbalance. Yeah. I I think this probably was a case of like they were saying they were trying to almost correct too much to be more you know we can sell yeah ten million records again like they did with nineteen eighty four right well and you know and six million is no you know small feat mm-hmm. or no little feat either but you know four million on this one. Compared to six million on the previous one, and it you know it didn't go double triple platinum in Canada like it usually does. It doesn't go double triple platinum in in Australia or some other places. So it's like it's yeah maybe the wheels are starting to come off here a little. Although they had big hits and they did the big tour, didn't they do the Monsters of Rock tour with like Metallica and Scorpions and Dawkins? I think so. Yeah, in eighty eight, in yeah. you know that would have been on the backs of this record. Metallica, Scorpions, Dawkins, Kingdom Come. I think they were. I mean, from what I'm looking at this poster, they were the headline. Absolutely, so they were. Van Halen, Scorpions, Dokken, Metallica, so far down. The I know. And, and then Kingdom Come. Come. Yeah. yeah, Metallica. They're no. They won't be as big as Dokken. No way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> James Hetfield's no Don Dokken. That's for sure. Uh jeez. Uh, that that's one that might have been fun to see. At the mm. time, I probably wasn't that interested because I didn't really know Metallica until one came out. Right, Kingdom Come, although they're from Louisville, or at least some of them were. They all they all you ever heard about Kingdom Come was Led Zeppelin clone. Yes, you know, and I didn't really know Dokken that well. Now Scorpions Van Halen, that's pretty cool, but considering so many, there's so many festivals like this and big tours like this now, it's kind of ahead of their time. And then, so in comparison to Foreign Lawful Carnal Knowledge. Oh, it says three million. It actually went down. I would have said that was even better because the live because they did have big hits off of it. I think the singles may have done better on off on awful Carnalis, and obviously the live album then did pretty well. But yeah, you, you're starting to see the numbers come down. And to be honest with you, Balance was the first Van Halen album I didn't buy. 
when it came out. And, and even though that didn't sell that well, I mean, it, it, well, actually, no, I'm sorry, take that back. It wasn't that bad. It, it, it sold more than I thought it would. Yeah, I, I didn't, I don't have that record either. Because that was, how much was that? That right here right now is... 93. 93. And then Balance is 95. So, but see, we had kind of grown up at that point. At that point, right. we're graduating from college. And Let's we're see what the sales are on this. About the same. As, so, and, and that's that's crazy because right now it was huge. Huge hit. Yeah. Top of the World was mm-hmm. a nice hit for him. Pound Cake was a fun way to open it. Yeah. But, um, but you know, right here, right now, was all over MTV, man. It was all over MTV. And they basically named the album the live album. It's live right, right. here, right now, you know. So... Yeah, that surprises me a little bit. But. I, I didn't think there was any way they would sell three million copies, and I would have thought that that OUA one two did sold a little better than that, and for unlawful counter knowledge. But you're right; at that point in time, that was not what was in vogue anymore. I wonder. I, well, okay, balance is last of those ten for me. Mm-hmm. What can I put under it? I don't love Van Halen two. Put Van Halen three under it. Yeah, that doesn't make the list, dude. <laughs> It doesn't even make the list. <laughs> it should never have been. Oh, man. I wouldn't even buy that album for Target practice. <laughs> and I shouldn't say that because I haven't listened to it all the way through. And Fire in the Hole wasn't a horrible song. But, you know, I don't want to like it, and therefore I don't. Yeah, I couldn't put... Okay, 5150 is better than it. 5150 is pretty damn good, actually. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Put it as the best of the Sammy records. I put Foreign Lawful Carnal Knowledge ahead of it. Obviously, 1984, the first album, go ahead of it. I just like Diver Down better, even though it's got a ton of covers on it and it's very short. So that leaves Women and Children First, Fair Warning, and Van Halen 2. Fair warning. I mean, it's got Unchained on it. Yeah, so I, love, it, I love fair warning. So you can't you can't yeah. put that below it. Women and children first. Got everybody wants. Some. I know that's the problem. <laughs> uh, maybe I could put Van Halen too under it, but I I doubt it. I, I I bet if I listened to them right next to each other, I would still I would still go with Van Halen too. I think you're I think right. So. I, it's at best it's eight out of ten, mm-hmm. but I'm guessing it's ninth, and it's not bad. It's not bad. Which one? This one. Oh, oh you wait one too. No, it's not. It's just it it just it struggles in a catalog of really great records. Yeah. But now that Eddie's gone, here's the other thing, because I talked about this before at the beginning, how Van Halen, we, we had them in such high esteem, top five favorite bands or whatever. Now I wouldn't put them in my top ten. I probably wouldn't put them in my top twenty or top twenty-five. They have fallen that far off. And parts because from Van Halen three on, how much new music did they ever make? Okay, so, all right, so if you want to go that route, they did, when did they put out that Greatest Hits record? 97? 97. So that had two new tracks from Dave on it. Yeah, Me Wise Magic, which has got the syntax of Yoda. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Can't Get This Stuff No More. And then, so after that, it was it was the, the brand new truth. A different kind of truth. Different kind of truth, that's right. Yeah. And that was all new. That, so yeah, I mean, that, there was a big gap there, and then that was it. Right, yeah. Was, and was there something new off of this one, Best of Both Worlds? It's About Time okay. was a Sammy song. Okay. Up for Breakfast mm. and Learning to See were Sammy songs. All right. So they threw those in there. Because, see, that's they got back together with Dave. Right. To do a few songs on the, hey, you know, I'm back. And they're like, nope, you're still a wackadoo, you're out. So now we go get Gary Sharon. Correct. The fans don't accept that. Mm-hmm. So he's out. Mm-hmm. Then we're like, okay, we'll get Sammy back again. And I saw them on that tour, and they were great. And everybody was happy for a minute or two. <laughs> Until they weren't. You know, yeah. And, and it was like, all right, Van Halen's back. He's like, no, okay, well, well, now we have to get Dave back. So it's like they have two greatest hits albums. 
one with new Dave songs, one with new Sammy songs. Nobody really wants any of those songs. Then, yeah, you got the, the different kind of truth, which it has some new songs, but it also has some stuff that had been oh, like they laying were, around yeah. for a while, right? Uh-huh. Like bullet-headed around since like the 70s yeah. or something like that. And maybe Chinatown, I can't remember. I remember Tattoo came back and like, oh, cool, it's Dave and Ben, hey, we haven't heard this in 30 years, isn't it great? Yeah, it's, you know... Honey Baby Sweetie Doll, and like, that's Dave's song. <laughs> I have to listen to it to know. Look at that title, man. You know that. Stay Frosty, Beats Working. Yeah, I mean, the time had passed. The time had passed, you know. Right. So all that time, and it's disappointing that, that Eddie never did more, you know. And it's it's just sad because everyone's like, it'd be great if Eddie did a solo album. And Eddie's like, well, I do all the music anyway, so why do I need to? Right. Like, but you need to do something besides sit around drinking all day. I think, and I, I think his part of his problem too is that he was so prolific that mm. after a while, it's like, well, that's not as good as your first rep. Mm. Okay, but it's new. I think that's the problem with a lot of a lot of guys like this is you get to the point where you're like, I don't even want to do anything new because yeah. I know you're gonna you're gonna hate on, on it. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, so all right. So I saw him. I saw him four times. I saw him before I saw him with you on that tour on the okay. Unlawful Carnal Knowledge tour in Indianapolis. Then we saw him in Orlando together. Yeah. And I saw him when they got back with Sammy in the 2000s for a while. Okay. And then I saw him with Dave and Wolfie. And I remember I used to be a big reviewer for Ticketmaster. I would always go in there and review, and they would usually post my stuff. And at one time, I was a top 50 Ticketmaster reviewer. I'm like, oh, look at me. I'm a big reviewer. I submitted it. And usually, I gave you five out of stars, maybe four if it wasn't perfect. I gave them a three out of five Mm. and said that Cool and the Gang, who opened for them, was actually better than they were. And they did not post my review. So I don't know if Dave was in charge of that or what. But, uh, yeah, they, they didn't go out with a bang. They kind of just went away. Yeah, I, I saw – I did not get to see them live on that tour, but I have seen videos posted of it. And, yeah, Dave just – everybody else was great. Mm-hmm. Wolf can hold his own. Yeah. But it's just – Dave just didn't – he had the he had the moves. He had the stories. But the voice was just – it just wasn't there. And he's not just the hair club president. He's also a client. <laughs> Which is tough when you're known for having this beautiful blonde mane, and now you've got this Donald Trump comb-over going. It's like, oh, Dave. No one believes that. Dave, 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 Dave. And now he's retired, I do believe. He was supposed to maybe do like a Vegas thing, and he's like, nah, nah, I think it's time to to wrap it up. So Dave's done. Eddie's not with us anymore. Alex can't really tour on his own. No. Uh, So, you know, go see Sammy in the circle. It's half of Van Halen. They'll do some Van Halen tunes. Looking forward to the new Mammoth record always yeah that's coming out soon yeah mm-hmm. i think yeah i think so there's a there's a single out now but yeah yeah it's ready to drop soon well that wraps our take on episode number 124 of the ugly american werewolf in london on van halen's ou812 from 1988 God, I can't believe it's been 35 years since that came out, you know. And while we maybe we didn't give it a glowing, huge review, I mean, I, I think we both liked the album a lot. We both have fond memories of it from high school. And it just kind of hit at the same time that I was discovering the back catalog of Van Halen. Like we said, we knew Van Halen from 1984, from the early days of MTV, when we were young men just finding out about rock and roll music. Then they had the change with Sammy from Dave in 86 and 5150. But more importantly than them coming out with OU812 was our discovery of the first album, an eruption, and ain't talking about love. That was happening at the same time. 
So it's kind of a balance between this old school heavy metal, the Dave years that we're really just discovering, and now the pop years. Yes, very popular all over MTV, selling well, doing the huge Monsters of Rock tour that they're headlining, but it's a little bit different. And yeah, we ranked it ninth out of 10 on our Van Halen album scale. Well, that just shows you how strong the Van Halen catalog is overall. Not really the weakness of this record. I liked it. I like rediscovering some of the songs that I had forgotten about. The pop songs are still pretty catchy for the most part, even though I don't listen to them much anymore. I still like them, and they still hold a special place in my heart just because of the time it came out, where I was in my life, and where I was on my discovery of music and Van Halen at that point. And of course, you can't get this stuff no more, so we have to appreciate what we do have. And as usual, folks, we want to know, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? You've got to let us know. Please email us. It's UglyAmericanWerewolf at gmail.com. Let us know the shows that you want us to do on the bands, the, the concerts, the albums, the DVDs, the stuff that you want to hear about. We're always open to suggestion. And you got to follow us on Twitter, at Ugly underscore Werewolf, or at ActionJack72. You can tweet us. You can DM us. Let us know what's up with you. We're on Instagram, Ugly American Werewolf in London. I think we're kind of also on Facebook. We're trying to do better on social media all the time, and we really appreciate all of our followers. You can follow us on YouTube even. But what would be huge for us is if you're thinking about it, please write us a positive review. Those five-star reviews are what help us find more rock and roll fans like you wherever you are all over the world. And it's anywhere you get your podcast. really. Apple is still huge. Spotify is still huge. But Apple's probably the biggest one. So if you're enjoying the show, hey, please do me a favor. Take a minute. Say something nice about us. And hey, we might just read it on the show. Thanks as always to Pantheon, of which we are a proud member of the network. Go to PantheonPodcast.com to check out all of our friends on there. We just signed up a bunch of new ones, some of whom you may be familiar with, so definitely check out PantheonPodcast.com to see who's new. And of course, thank you as always to RareVinyl.com, our amazing sponsor, where if you use the code PODCAST, you can save 10% off your orders. They ship all over the world. So you're looking for that old school Van Halen stuff in pristine condition? Go to rarevinyl.com, folks. Use the code podcast. Next week, we're talking about one of my favorite bands of all time, a UK band, but this one didn't have limited success anywhere. They were huge all over the world, especially in 1985-86, and that was Dire Straits. It's been 45 years since they released their debut album, which, of course, included the hit single Sultans of Swing, one of the biggest rock tunes in the Wolf's personal history of rock tunes. And so Jackson and I are going to dive deep into that next week. But until then, all you rock and rollers, all of you all around the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.